Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for September 17th, 2019. Happy St. Patty's Day to everybody out there. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you all on. And we're going to talk about some topics like we always do. We're going to switch it up just a little bit, and we're excited to have our guest for the evening right off at the top of the show. Maybe this is a winning formula. Who knows? But we know we're excited to have back on the program uh, GOP pollster, uh, North Star Communications, Mr. Dan Judy. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you all for having me back. Yes. Well, uh, excited to have you. I mean, always pollsters really have a good sense of what's going on and the country, uh, sometimes seeing trends ahead of everybody. And uh, so definitely want to get a, a somebody from the other side of the aisle, if you will, that may be not seeing trends that, that we hear about in our circles. Um, so kind of right off, I'm just going to ask you about the presidential race. And I'm first going to ask you about the Republican side, because obviously Donald Trump is popular with most Republicans, but not all Republicans. And he does have some things hanging over him, if you will. If um, a Republican candidate came to you um, and said, you know, I want to mount a primary challenge, what would be the issues where Donald Trump is vulnerable in the Republican electorate? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. First of all, I would probably not advise a a client to run against Donald Trump in a primary. Um, It's um, the, the, he is just, he's very, very popular among Republicans. Um, and I just, there, there's not, at least based on what we know now and where we are now, um, I, I don't see a clear path to anybody being able to take him out in a primary. Um, now to your larger question, um, about, um, you know, where, where does he have some vulnerability? Where is he a little soft? A question that we've been asking on our polls uh, of Republican primary voters going back really the last, well, really since, since Trump was elected, is do you consider yourself to be more a supporter of Donald Trump or more a supporter of the Republican Party? Um, it varies state to state how see 50 to 60 percent of Republican voters saying that they are more a supporter of Donald Trump and about a third saying that they are more supporters of the Republican Party. The remainder say, you know, that, I, that they support both. So what you really have in the party is a split kind of between the Trump Republicans um, and the establishment Republicans, for lack of a better term, um, with the Trump Republicans holding a majority, you know, pretty much everywhere. Um, and, and that that is the reason why. And, and, you know, and those folks, you know, when you when you ask them, you know, what, what, what is their approval rating for the president? It's, you know, 98 percent and 90 percent of that is strongly approved um, among the establishment Republicans. His approval rating is more in the 70s with 40 to 50 percent strong approval. Um, and, and uh, you know, a lot of that, you, you asked about issues, a lot of that is um, kind of personality stuff. 
um, and then some of it are, is sort of his unconservative or uh, kind of sort of unorthodox views on things like trade, foreign policy, the deficit and the debt and that sort of thing. Most of it, however, is more, I think, um, a matter of personality and style. Yes. Well, let me ask you another question, kind of that same vein. You know, 12 years, 10 years ago, we were talking about, you know, George W. Bush, his Republican Party, then that may have morphed in two years later to John McCain's Republican Party as recently as six years. It was Mitt Romney's Republican Party. How And none of those gentlemen really are, are that fond of Donald Trump. They're very different than Donald Trump. How did the Republican Party get so vastly in Trump's corner um, when some of the other standard bearers uh, don't align with Donald Trump? Well, there, there are a few reasons, and, and, the, and the first is that when you have – when your party elects a president, that president is a leader of your party, um, and that, that, that really holds true you know, for, I think, every president. Um, and, and the reason why it, it seems so um, strange now is because Donald Trump is, is so different, you know, ideological and personality-wise than GOP presidents of the past. Um, you know, I think with, with, with John McCain or Mitt Romney, it's a little bit different because they didn't win. Um, if they had won, I think you would have seen, you know, 90% of Republicans strongly approving of them, even if they didn't support them, you know, initially or in a primary. Um, it's the same thing with the Democrats. Um, you know, the, the Democratic field is um, extremely diverse uh, ideologically, racially, ethnically, um, in terms of background and experience in every way. Um, it's going to be a very uh, tough primary there, but whoever comes out of that will become the leader of the Democratic Party. And if, if he or she becomes president, I think you will see a similar phenomenon um, that, that you will see, you know, 90 to 95 percent of Democrats supporting that person simply because they're the leader of the party. Um, part of it, you know, I know on the, on the Republican side with Trump is that there is a strong sense that, um, you know, the, the sort of elite institutions in this country um, whether it is you know, the government in Washington, whether it is the media or academia, um, you know, all of those things um, look at sort of more conservative voters, um, you know, maybe that don't live on the coast and hold them and their values in contempt. Um, and I've, I've seen in focus groups, I've heard you know, people say, look, I had a choice in, in 2016. Um, I didn't love either candidate, but one of the people was uh, saying that they would help me. And one of the candidates said that I was deplorable. Um, and so I went with a person who said they were going to help me, even though I had some reservations. And so I think there is a sense among many Republicans that Donald Trump is sort of, you know, kicking those elite institutions in the teeth. Um, now, is that a, a productive way to run a country or a party? I would argue it's not. <laughs> but, um, but I do think that it, uh, it does help to explain why he is, why he is so popular. Yes. Well, that was a very thorough analysis of the Republican side, and I'm going to reserve the right to maybe ask some more questions about the Democratic side or Senate races or anything else, but I want to be fair to my co-host, and I'm going to pass it off to Tim Shiflett, and he'll give it to Catherine, and then she'll send it back to me possibly. Mr. Judy, good evening, and glad to have you with us again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Dan, you worked for both Speaker Gingrich and Senator Coverdale. So uh, suffice <laughs> to say you know just a wee bit about Georgia politics. So here's my questions 
there's a couple of them. If, if Stacey Abrams should challenge Senator Purdue next year, could he lose while Donald Trump is carrying the state in the presidential election, or do they both win or lose the state together? I think that the most likely scenario is that they both win or lose together, um, just because I think the turnout patterns that would drive, say, a, a Democratic presidential nominee to victory in Georgia um, are what also what would carry a Stacey Abrams to victory over, over Purdue. It's, it's very difficult. I mean, I suppose it's possible to see a scenario in which in which um, Trump were to win uh, or, or a, a Democratic presidential candidate were to win Georgia and Purdue were to still win the Senate race. Uh, I, I doubt I, I, it would be harder to see it the other way around. Um, but I, I think that, you know, should the Democratic nominee win, um, that will probably pull Stacey Abrams over the finish line. That's how it usually works, um, it, you, know, in, in the, you know, in terms of presidential coattails. Um, I think mm-hmm. the same would be true for, you know, for Trump um, helping carry Purdue over. The interesting thing about Trump is if you look at Senate races in 2016, there was almost a reverse coattail effect where mm-hmm. Republican senators um, or Senate candidates in swing states won by bigger margins than Trump did generally. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of an interesting phenomenon, I could see, which is why I say I could see perhaps Purdue winning while the Democrat carries the state, but I, I think they'd probably go to both both go the same way. In either event, do you believe uh, or is, is what you're seeing showing you that Georgia is possibly a battleground state next year? It yes, I, I mean I, there will certainly be more money and more more attention paid to it. I think that Georgia will probably see more visits from presidential candidates than it has in a long time. Um, I don't know that I'm quite ready yet to um, to proclaim it a toss up state. Uh, it's one of those where, I mean, the last time a, a Democrat won a major statewide race in Georgia was 1998, um, mm-hmm. which just when Roy Barnes won the governorship and that. That that was a, a long a long time ago, and it's at some point the Democrats are going to break through. Um, mm-hmm. Is it going to be with uh, you know? I, a lot of people thought it was going to be with Stacey Abrams. I was not convinced that you know a, a, a pretty liberal candidate was going to be able to be the one that broke through ultimately. Um, now, a, a lot of that will depend on who the Democratic nominee is. If it's somebody mm-hmm. with a you know with with a more moderate profile and Joe Biden or something like that, for example, they might have a shot. Um, if it's Elizabeth Warren or Bernie, probably not. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But 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 the but the larger trends are correct are there. And um, mm-hmm. you know Hillary Clinton won Cobb County and Gwinnett County, which is mm-hmm. um, you know w- which is al- almost hard to believe, uh, you know, for people who have been around Georgia politics for a long time. Um, but but demographic trends, obviously, with uh, with young, well, a lot more younger voters and more non-white voters in those areas is making a difference. And then uh, just the reaction of college educated white voters against Donald Trump and Republicans. That's, um, mm-hmm. that's why my um, friend and client Karen Handel wasn't able to pull it out, um, you know, in, in the, in the general election last year, um, because it, you know, the Georgia sixth congressional district is, it's either the first or the second most educated congressional district in the country. I think it in Virginia 10 um, up just West of where I live now kind of vie for that title. Um, but the um, you know just college-educated white voters in the suburbs have turned very strongly against Donald Trump and Republicans, 
Um, and that's where you saw a lot of Republican losses in the House. Um, and that's what's driving these changes in Georgia. And, you know, Texas is another one that, I, you know, I don't think it's quite a battleground, but it's closer than it was. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting time. Um I'm going to ask you uh, one more question, and then I'm going to pass it over to Catherine and and also reserving uh, the right to maybe come back in in a little bit and and ask you something else. But uh, what I want to ask you now, I know know that that your outfit does a lot of issues-oriented polling, and the usual suspects like health care, immigration, the economy, education, terrorism, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid – these are important issues, according to most public opinion polls. But in 2020, my question is, will the chief issue facing voters be Donald Trump? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's that's the easiest question I've gotten. <laughs> um, it will. It, it was, you know, Trump was the most important issue in, in 2018 in the midterms. Um, and he will be the most important issue um, in, in 2020. Now, the interesting thing is, um, is that it will be a little different in 2020 because there will be a Democratic candidate on the ballot um, mm-hmm. and, and voters will have a choice to make. You know, and one of the reasons why Donald Trump was able to win in 2016, I mean, he was very, very unpopular, but he was running against a candidate who is very, very unpopular. Um, mm-hmm. Now, will the Democrat, Democratic nominee in 2020 be as unpopular as Hillary Clinton? Maybe I would say probably not. I mean, I, I mean, Trump, uh, Clinton would have been the most unpopular nominee in the history of polling if it weren't for Trump. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it's you know unlikely that the Democratic nom- nominee will be that unpopular. But you know, voters will have a choice, um, and mm-hmm. and ultimately they will have to choose between Donald Trump and another candidate. And uh, you know, it is it's not um, you know as unpopular as he is, and as many headwinds as he faces. Um, it is not that difficult to conjure a scenario in which he in which he's reelected. So um, mm-hmm. that uh, um, you know will will but but he will be the defining issue, and he will certainly he will certainly ensure that that he is the that he is the biggest issue. Yeah, excellent analysis. We thank you for that, and let's send it to Catherine. Catherine. Hey Dan, how's it going tonight? You doing all right? Good, good. Thank you. Yes. Um, I want to I want to go a little, just a little bit west from Atlanta, and ask you about the Doug Jones reelection. Or um, okay. <laughs> there's rumors. I don't know if it's actually official yet that um, Roy, what the heck's his name? Roy, Roy Moore. Moore <laughs> that Roy oh. Moore yeah. might run against him again. And um, what are you what are you seeing? around that race and what do you think about uh, another Roy Moore, Doug Jones uh, round so to speak So, well to unpack those questions let me start with the Roy Moore first I mean, the the idea of Roy Moore being the nominee again for the Republicans is appalling I mean it as not just a a, Republican but as a human being on this earth um, the, the idea of him being not the nominee again, I, I find horrible and terrible, and I dearly hope it doesn't happen. Um, so let's uh, let's put, let, let's let's move past that and say, is he likely to be the nominee if he runs? Um, you know, 
we'll see. Um, I, you know, I think that the fact that he was a nominee before and lost, I think will give a lot of people pause in a primary, um, which I think will hurt him in a primary. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that he would be likely to be the nominee again. If he is, um, I would probably put the seat in the, in the lean. You know, I would say it would lean Democrat. I would see that, that that is Doug Jones's path to reelection is running against Moore again. If it's not Roy Moore, if the nominee is, you know, really anybody else, um, I think that you, you have to say that the seat will lean Republican. Um, you know, w- one thing that, that we were watching very carefully last year um, was the Supreme Court fight over Kavanaugh. That's something that we were working on, uh, you know, an issue we were working on quite a bit. I mean, there were a number of red, red state Democratic senators that were, um, you know, sort of targeted as potential votes in favor of Kavanaugh. And Jones was on that list early, but came off of it early. And that really signaled to me that, um, that he, um, you know, is not, was not going to try super hard to, um, to, to move close to the center or get a little closer to the administration. Um, and, and so I think if, if he had voted in favor of Kavanaugh, um, that would have separated his profile a little bit. I think it would have given him a little more uh, chance to make some inroads with you know, Republicans or you know, conservative-leaning independents. He really has not established that sort of independent center-right Democrat um, profile that he would need to win against an even remotely credible um, Republican. Now, you know, again, if it's Roy Moore, I think you know, he's got a very good chance to win. I dearly, dearly hope that it is not Roy Moore for reasons that have very little to do with partisanship. Um, but it'll be but one to watch. Sure. In, who is there in Alabama to run against him? Um, you know, I have I have not been following the primary there that much. I think that it's still shaping up. It's still coming together. Um, so, you know, there are um, – you know, I know there there are a number of you know state legislators, a number of uh, members of Congress who have always sort of looked at those races, uh, you know, looked at some of those statewide races and haven't made a jump. Um, so I, I am not sure exactly how that's shaping up yet. Um, well, one interesting thing is, you know, what if Jeff Sessions decided to run for it again? That that would that would be an interesting wrinkle. Um, right. and, and and you know what what what, what would really Donald Trump say about that? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You know, that's always a possibility. I mean, it's you know that's that's not impossible. So. Oh, that would be really interesting. Well, that's all I've got. I may come up with something else, but I'm going to send it back to David, and it may get back around to me. Thank you very much. Yes. That was really uh, good Thank analysis. You. Well, Dan, I'm going to build back onto the presidential race and kind of ask the opposite view because um, a lot of times, sometimes you see the, the flaws in the other side or the weaknesses better than you see them in yourself. Um, you know, the Democrats are, are having a pretty good role since election 2018, uh, a lot of energy, but there's obviously could be some pitfalls, some killy fields. There's some issues in particular if the Democrats have overall that um, could cost a uh, possible, you know, grand thing? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question, and there are several. And, I, you know, I can say, you know, having come out of the, the 2016 Republican primary, there are some similar dynamics at play um, in the Democratic primary. Um, and what happened, you know, one interesting thing, and before I kind of get to your specific question, 
just to kind of illustrate one thing that happened in 2016 on the Republican side, you know, we had done a lot of pulling on immigration, you know, in the years leading up to 16. And one thing that was never really that popular among Republicans was a border wall. It was just not something that, that a majority of Republicans were ever really in favor for, in favor of. But all of a sudden, Donald Trump becomes a front runner. He makes it, you know, the, the key cornerstone of his campaign. And it all of a sudden became a litmus test not just for Republicans in that race, but for Republicans pretty much everywhere. Um, and so the, it, it's, it's very interesting how the dynamics in a presidential primary, when the energy among the voters is behind a certain thing, can change the dynamic. And so what I think, you know, a few things you're seeing on the, on the Democratic side uh, is Medicare for All, uh, Green New Deal, are probably two of the biggest ones right now, where if all of a sudden you see all of the, the Democratic uh, candidates in order to feel like they have to appeal to the, um, the, the wing of the party that has all the energy, start embracing you know, these uh, kind of far left ideas that do not have that high support among the broader electorate, um, it could really change you know, the, the, the dynamic, not just of that primary, but of the general election. Um, and so it, it will be interesting to see if, um, you know, if, if some of these issues really become sort of litmus test issues, things that have not you know, really been on the Democratic radar, but, you know, with the, the influx of energy, um, you know, from kind of the freshman members of Congress and, and whatnot, kind of drive those issues to the, to the forefront. Yes. And then I would ask you one more question about the Senate. Um, you know, anybody can look at the map and go, yeah, Arizona's a battleground. Georgia may be a battleground. Um, obviously, Colorado is going to be a mm -hmm. possible flip. What's that race that no one's really watching that could become an interesting battleground Senate race? Oh, boy, that's a, uh, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, Maine is one that could, that could get interesting, I think. Um, if Susan Collins were to face a serious primary challenge and be defeated, um, I, I think that she's likely to win if, uh, if, if she's the nominee. Um, but some, you know, other states – you know, that, that could get very interesting, you know, on the, um, you know, on the Democratic side. Um, I, you know, I don't know that I, that I really see any. Um, there, there just aren't, there, there aren't a lot on the Democratic side that, you know, see other than the Alabama seat that sort of, that, that are in states that Republicans win that often. Um, you know, Minnesota has um, uh, Tina Smith, who, who was appointed to the seat that when Al Franken resigned. Um, you know, that's one that could potentially be interesting, um, you know, if, if Donald Trump, again, does well sort of in the upper Midwest and Smith turns out not to be a very good campaigner or something like that, you know, having never really run a tough race. Um, you know, on the Republican side, again, Maine's one that could get interesting. Um, Kentucky is one that's going to get a ton of attention. Um, I don't ultimately don't. Um, it's hard for me to see Mitch McConnell not winning, but it's going to get a ton of attention just because he's you know, obviously the leader. Um, so that, so that will be a, you know, kind of an interesting and fun one to watch too. Um, just because everybody, you know, will want to write, you know, will want, will want to write Mitch McConnell's political obituary and, um, and Mitch McConnell doesn't let anybody write his, <laughs> his political obituary. So, uh, so that one could be a, a fun one to watch as well. Yes. He's been around quite a while. Um, he has, he, he has. You. Yes. Tim, you there to pass it back to? Ah, uh, yes, sir. Here I am. Um, Dan, um, 
you guys may already have some polling in the field on this. I don't know, but another government shutdown over the budget fight is a looming possibility, to put it charitably. Um <laughs> How, how would another shutdown, considering the public's reaction to the last one, be viewed this time? I mean, would it have enough energy behind it to turn, say, House and Senate races right on their ear next year? You know, I don't know that it would at, at this point on its own. Um, but what it would do is just add just sort of another weight uh, to um, Republican candidates who who are already going to be contending with a, an incumbent president who's got an approval rating in the low 40s, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think it would be determinative. I think a lot of a lot of the negative effects of that are already baked in, unfortunately, for Republicans. And um, you know, we've you know, going back to the shutdowns, you know, back you know over Obamacare, have been telling you know. All of our clients and the, our, you know, all Republicans don't do this. It's not a good idea. Um, but it's, I mean, you know, one of the reasons why um, you know, re- Republicans have suffered a little bit electorally is because of negative views partially driven by the shutdown. Um, uh, would, would another one, you know, just kind of more of the same be, you know, be, be determinative? No, but I do think that it would just kind of, you know, be another anchor around the ankles of candidates who don't need, who don't need another anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I can't let you get away without asking about uh, another U.S. senator, and that's Majority Leader McConnell. Of course, he's been a, both a lightning rod and a hero at the same time. <laughs> he's been a villain, and he's been a knight <laughs> in shining armor at the same time. And the latest polling out of Kentucky shows him underwater. Uh, pretty significantly uh, in in uh, approval ratings. Uh, how do you think he'd match up with Amy McGrath? Uh, you know, I think that it would be a, um, you know, I, I, I think that it will be a competitive race. But again, never bet against Mitch McConnell. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, the, the guy is a, a, a street fighter. He's a survivor. Um, I I think that he is likely to I think he's likely to win, but he and, and I think would would be the first to admit, um, you know, he he will have a tough race. I mean, when you are you know when you're the leader in the Senate, um, you know, you take a lot of incoming fire, and there are Senate majority leaders who have lost before, uh, but you know, generally, um, you know, when you think about, um, I guess you know, most recently, I think Tom Daschle lost. Um, but he was also in a state that was trending strongly Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, particularly in a presidential year, um, you know, Republicans, you know, Kentucky is still a very Republican state. And, um, you know, ultimately, um, you know, while, you know, he, McConnell will work hard in the race, there'll be a lot of money spent. There'll be a lot of outside money spent um, uh, saying mean things about Mitch McConnell. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh-huh. Um, but, but he, I mean, he relishes the fight. And um, uh-huh. ultimately, I think I think he'll win. And I think, um, you know, again, I think I, I think the race will be competitive. But ultimately, I would be surprised if, if he doesn't win, you know, by a, a comfortable margin. OK, one more question. And I'm going back uh, to Catherine. 
You reside in uh, Virginia, a state with, how should we put it, some political news to report lately. Uh, oh, really? What did you, yeah, what, are you talking <laughs> what about? a shock. Huh? <laughs> now, the, yeah. the president's uh, harped in, or chimed in, I should say, and he mm-hmm. basically has said that what happened makes Virginia a swing state next year in the presidential election, a state he certainly could win. Is it, or, or is he just wishing? Uh, I, I think he's just wishing. I, I, I mean, the Virginia um, is that you've got a, um, a growing segment of voters in Northern Virginia, where I live, um, you know, Alexandria, Arlington, Fairfax County, Loudoun County primarily, um, that is that, that are growing fast. The minority populations are increasing. It's among the most educated population in the country, um, and a lot of younger voters. And those mm-hmm. are um, those are the constituencies that right now do not favor Donald Trump. And to um, to give you kind of a, a stark example of you know sort of how how Virginia is politically right now, um, when Ed Gillespie lost the Senate race uh, to Mark Warner. Um, I guess it was in 2014, or yeah, um, he um, he lost by less than one percent. Mm-hmm. In the governor's race last year, he got more votes than he got in that Senate race and lost by ten points. Um, and and that that's a, that that's something that as a Republican is terrifying. And the reason is is because you saw a huge you know you saw a significant turnout in smaller counties, rural counties where Ed did very, very well and, and got more votes than he got in his Senate race. But turnout in Northern Virginia among young people, among minorities, among college-educated uh, white voters was through the roof. Um, and so, you know, Ed, while getting more votes than he got in the Senate race, uh, lost by, uh, by 10 points. And, um, and that, that's the reason why, um, you know, I, I think Trump is, uh, is unlikely to, to, to swing Virginia next year. Yeah, so, so you're saying pretty confidently that, the predictions over the years of the coming dominance politically of the state by the area of the state you live in has arrived in full bloom, huh? It has, and and that has been the trend for a while. Uh-huh. Um, and and that that's not to say that Virginia can't or won't still elect Republicans statewide. Um, you know, we've had Republican governors, you know, recently, and we've had close gubernatorial and Senate races recently. Um, but some of the, you know, some of the trends that are, are hurting Republicans are especially pronounced in Virginia. Um, but, you know, Virginia, uh, the Republicans do still control the state legislature, and it's, um, and it's not impossible by any means for Republicans to win statewide here. Um, it's just the, the state, which used to be, you know, a fairly reliable red state, is, um, is definitely more purple now um, and, and leans blue, and, you know, and, and certainly in the, in the parts of the state that are growing the fastest. All right. I thank you for that, sir. And back to Catherine. Catherine? Well, these guys covered everything. I don't have any I, – I can't come up with any other questions for you, Dan. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on. I'll let David uh, carry it out. Okay. Yes. Well, Dan, you probably may remember this from last time you were on. Uh, just uh, – we want first want to thank you for being on, and then – if there's anything anywhere that people can read your work or just read your social media tweets or, or what have you, uh, just share that with our listeners. Okay. Well, I will say that um, I 
fairly intentionally try not to spend a lot of time on Twitter, but, um, but I do occasionally tweet, um, and it's at Dan Judy. Um, and then, of course, our firm website is NorthStarOpinion.com, where we occasionally will post some polling results and some other things that we're working on uh, if, if, our, uh, if, it's, if our, our clients will allow it. <laughs> Certainly so. You've got to listen to the paying customer. Well, Dan, we thank you for coming on with your great insight, and hopefully we'll have you back uh, sooner than later in this uh, presidential cycle. All right, anytime. Well, thank you all very much for having me. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, sir. Take care. Thank you. You too. That was Dan Judy of North Star Opinion Research. Um, Good to have Dan on because uh, I I know that uh, I've heard other Republican pollsters, and sometimes – you just see it, hear a different perspective. It doesn't mean you agree on the issues, but um, it's kind of like in sports. Somebody uh, breaking down the opposite team's game film has a different insight, um, and so it's good to hear. Well, uh, let's kind of talk about some more issues of the day, and the issue, it seemed like from about Wednesday on, was the uh, Democratic field grew by one, but it seemed like this one is taking up more than one-fifteenth of the attention, and so we need to have our next installment of Buy, Sell, Hold, and this uh, this time it'll be on uh, former Republican, I'm sorry, former Democratic congressman from El Paso, uh, Beto O'Rourke. Um, t- uh, Catherine, uh, Buy, Sell, Hold, Beto O'Rourke. I'm saying buy, um, at least for the time being. <laughs> I think it'll be interesting to see how he um, establishes some of the policies and the sort of um, personality of his campaign. I think there's a lot of uh, questions about, like, is he going to just get out there and yell and stand on tables, or is he really going to drill down to some policy issues and try to get some really strong messaging across. So I think I'm I'm in excited by his campaign. I think he does draw a strong um, – he, he does differ from a lot of the candidates. He's not like any of the other ones, being young and white and um, in, very enthusiastic and very popular in Texas. So I'm, I'm going with a bye. We'll see how it goes. We'll have to reevaluate these buy sell holds at some point, I, I assume. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely so, as everything fleshes out. The one thing I love about the young and old is um, I remember I saw something about Beto O'Rourke, um, and he's 47, I'm 47. And I think uh, Adam Vinatieri, the, the kicker for um, the Colts, is about the same age. And when you hear Beto O'Rourke, he's young. And when you hear about Adam Vinatieri, he's old. And they're both 47, so uh, so age is such a relative term. Um, but but the Absolutely. one thing I do like, hey, maybe I'm not that old, then if, if I compare myself to a, a congress, a former You're congressman, not, not an NFL player. Um, T- Tim, I'm going to seriously let you have the next buy-sell hold instead of me. Yeah, before I do that, you're 47? I am. And you're old. I, I didn't. Uh, uh, yeah, see, for, for podcast, <laughs> I'm old, you know. <laughs> okay, I've, I've got a lot to say about this guy, uh, David. Uh, I'm going to say bye for now. Because, first of all, I buy anyone that I believe is um, in the top five. 
and I think he's that. I, I think he starts out in the top five. But now I'm like Catherine. I need to see some concrete things out of this guy. I know what he did in Texas, but that was then. I seriously need to see that, say, in Iowa. I, I need to see the energy and the excitement in these crowds that he seems to be bringing himself. I need to see some fundraising numbers. I, I, that troubled me. I do find it curious that he has declined to release any so far. Uh, I'll give him a pass on that because he just got in, but he's going to have to get out there with something to show that he's serious. And I need to see an organization that a candidate for national office needs. Yesterday, uh, guys, he and Amy Klobuchar, we're actually crisscrossing each other in northern Iowa. I think they were in Waterloo, Dubuque, and maybe Cedar Rapids. I'm not sure about that. But they both spoke in several of the same locations a couple of hours apart so that a good many activists actually got to see both candidates for comparison. And most of the people that were interviewed by the national media mentioned the energy that with which he spoke and brings, uh, but they were largely more impressed with Senator Klobuchar because she talked about specific policy proposals and specifics on, like, dealing with other major issues while he spoke largely in generalities. That goes back to what Catherine uh, brought up. We need to see something a little more out of him. The people enjoy hearing him, but he needs to add some meat to the bones. Uh, and then one more thing, David, and then you can pick me apart. <laughs> I need to see some movement in the polls out of this guy. Uh, he's, you know, prior to getting in, he's running fifth nationally. He's uh, sixth in New Hampshire, and he's not reg registering well in a state like Florida. Again, I'm going to cut him some slack but I just need to see something happening here. What do you think? Okay, I'm going to buy. I mean, obviously, there's just too much national attention around this guy. There is – he just has that it factor. So, I mean, if, if you're not going to buy on a Beto O'Rourke, you probably don't want to invest your money in, in pretty much anything. Um, and so that's why I'd say buy definitely. Now, Tim, to your point about polling, now this is not just everybody polling, but 2,000 political wire members, which these are kind of the people that are in the know that look at very things very seriously and also are pretty pragmatic, not as um, maybe emotional and reactionary in their opinions, but are more pragmatic, and they do lean much more democratic uh, even though it's more of a nonpartisan site, he went immediately to first place, and, and who do they want to win? Um, and I thought that was very interesting. So if it become, comes down to um, you know, voters in the know, he seems to really have that. Now, talking about the way the race will unfold, the fact that Iowa is the first state is just really perfect. I mean, maybe Texas would be more perfect for him, but the fact that it's a state that's all about retail politics. If you, you know, listen to Eric Benson's podcast that talked about that race, one of the first things he did, and it was panned, 
was that he was going to visit every Texas county. We know there's no other state with as many counties as Texas, and some of them, you know, have, you know, more tumbleweeds than people. Um, but he still went to every uh, place, and he really turned a lot of voters that way just because he kind of went out there. The Iowa caucus, that is kind of how you have to campaign. Um, you know, you have to line up some people, and it's caucusing and whatnot, have you? But I think he's really going to be well-received on there. I heard another interesting point. You know, people a lot of times will say, how far to the left are they? How far to the right are they? When they talk about Beto O'Rourke, they, they talk about him being forward. He's forward-thinking. He's visionary. He, he's focused on the future, and he's positive. Is there a better contrast to run against Donald Trump, who's negative, taking people back to the old way, um, who's older and, and kind of you know grumpy and dour, and this guy's positive and youthful? Um, it, it, to me, it's just a perfect contrast um, you know, against Donald Trump. Now, could there be some substance things where people, you know, like other candidates better? Absolutely so. And could this be where somebody wants to do more making history than, uh, you know, winning Texas for the Democrats? I guess that'd be the biggest history part of this thing. Um, but, you know, maybe so. Um, but as far as this goes, I think Better O'Rourke is, is definitely, like you said, one of the top five candidates. Um, Catherine, what do you think with that whole forward instead of left-right analysis of Beto O'Rourke as a candidate? Have you heard that, and what do you, what do you make of that? I, I like that. Um, I'm not sure how it um, how it plays in the way we talk about politics now. You know, I think we heard it from uh, Mr. Judy, who said, you know, that Medicare for All is such a left-wing, you know, far-left idea when 70% of America likes the idea of Medicare for all. So, I mean, I think we talk about things, the media and, you know, all the pundits talk about left and right. So if you're not going to fit into that, how are they going to talk about you? That That's the, I mean, I like the idea of, and I agree with you 100%, it's such a stark contrast to the current president that to be forward thinking and positive and enthusiastic and um, interested in serving. I think he makes that very clear that, you know, service is very important to him. So I think I I, I like the idea. I'm just not sure how it sort of fits into our existing framework. And that may be a little bit of a stumbling block. Yeah, I think if you if you accept the country is completely divided, no one can bring us together, then I guess you say why try. But but I I hope whether somebody's super conservative or somebody's uber liberal, I hope that somewhere deep down they would want to see America coming together more. And they understand that America this divided is not good. Um so, oh, yeah. so, so I think that um Tim, I want to ask you another question. I sent y'all a little piece um, about uh, how Beto O'Rourke, the way he closed the gap in Texas, he actually got voters to switch from Democratic to Republican. He actually was able to switch those white voters, which are generally seen as more Republican, to his side. And they would be Abbott O'Rourke voters. Uh, they voted for the um, Republican governor. I mean, there was because the margins were very different from um. Cruz. And um, 
Abbott. And then, of course, that's different than what, in particular, here in Georgia, Stacey Abrams did. And I'm sitting here going, man, why not in all these states where each person closed the gap and they did it a different way, can they switch just one staffer and, and do the other? Like, how, why can't we have both? Why, does it, why do we have to choose? Um, but then my question would be, in some of these places we lost, they're not, they're not diverse like Georgia. They're not diverse like Florida and Texas. They're what they were 50 years ago, and therefore you can't worry about demographic trends like some of those upper Midwest states um, that switched and the areas in those states that switched. Um, how much does Better O'Rourke being able to change even a portion of the voters' minds help his candidacy and the Democrats? Hmm. Well, you know, you know, I, I think you just laid out a general election scenario there, uh, David, uh, where people, you, you know, where candidates are looking for uh, a very small slice of voters in a close race that that can tip it for them. Uh, the the ever shrinking middle. Uh, you, you take the state of Iowa; those caucus vo- voters are are pretty darn liberal there, and uh, so that's what you're going to have to focus on there. You're going to have to talk to Democrats and not to the general electorate. Uh, I think what you described is more for the general electorate, and 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 you answered the second part of it. States are different. Georgia is not Texas. Had you switched the two candidates, the Democrats in Georgia would have had just another uh, middle-aged uh, white guy running. That hadn't that hadn't served us too well lately. Uh, if you if you send Stacey Abrams to Texas, I don't think she performs as well statewide as she did here. Um, so it's about the states and it's about the candidates. But right now, Beto O'Rourke is going to have to concentrate on uh, a, a you know a pretty liberal Democratic electorate, which is you know we're we're talking about party activists now in these early primaries and caucuses and things, uh, very very liberal people. That's why I could see a guy like O'Rourke energizing the whole party, but. Uh, but I have to also entertain the possibility that he could crash with a thud. He wouldn't be the first one to do it, um, and a million things could cause it. And you know what we haven't mentioned, uh, Catherine? Uh, the uh, should I say the elephant in the room? A guy by the name of Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a feeling we may be discussing him even as early as next week because he kind of uh, uh, slipped and, um, you know, kind of gave away that he is going to run. Um, but we'll have to wait on that. And, of course, Dave, these candidates affect each other. You know, that's one what I'm saying, David. Pulls from How the do you same think? Pull, pull differently. That's what I'm saying, David. How does Biden enter, entering the race affect, uh, say, a guy like Beto O'Rourke, or does he? Well, he, he might do a point, but, but wouldn't – if somebody said, well, you know, both are going to do equally well um, with certain demographics in, in a race, wouldn't people want the younger model? Uh, I mean, we're about to have the NFL draft. If you said this 36-year-old veteran that makes a bunch of money can do what the young guy can – the same thing the young guy can do, they're going to go with the young guy. 
Um, and I do think that there is a uh, interest in if you can win either way, winning young, just because I think, you know, there's just this sense that that American po- politics and um, the Democratic Party needs to try to get younger. I mean, I want to try to win first uh, before I worry about anything else. Um, one more thing, that, and we, I think we talked about Eric Bitson about this, but him, get, but that was before Beto O'Rourke was in the race. I heard, I believe it was Harry Enten, who used to be with 538, is now uh, one of CNN's top political um, analysts. He said basically Beto O'Rourke is the most likely person to be VP if he's not the presidential candidate. And the thinking was, is there's odds are he thought that, you know, it may be Kamala Harris. It could be um, Elizabeth Warren. It could be a not maybe Cory Booker, a non-white male, and they would pick a white male, and it ain't going to be Bernie, and it ain't going to be the third term for Joe Biden. And therefore, Beto O'Rourke would be the, you know, last white guy standing, if you will. Um, Catherine, do you think he possibly got in the race just so he could keep his name in the VP ring? Mm. Um, I I don't think so. I mean, I I don't think he would turn it down, but I think he's running for president. Um, but that is an interesting scenario. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I could see a Harris O'Rourke. That would be that'd be a nice ticket. Yeah, if if you had to ask me which two people are going to be the ticket, it's going to be one version of those two people. It's one way or the other. I I think it's going to be odds on. I would be shocked if one of the two of them is not on the presidential ticket. It's one or two. Um, That's just that. That would be where I'd invest my money if I could make that prop bet that the ticket will include O'Rourke or Harris. I feel I feel I would be making my money on that one. Tim, what do you think about Beto O'Rourke is getting in is to kind of have his uh, placeholder there for VP as well? Let me let me drop uh, defer to Catherine. I believe she had another point oh, to make. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Um, I just don't. <clears throat> I just don't think that he is. He doesn't strike me as getting into this just to be the, the VP. But I mean, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if other candidates didn't do that. But it, to me, it doesn't seem like him. I think he's a little more um, deliberate than that. That's all I was going to say. Okay. Ahead, Sorry, Catherine, if I yeah. – No, you didn't. I, I, I was – it's fine. <laughs> okay. And, and, and look, look, uh, you know, I, 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 agree with, I, I agree with Catherine here. I, I, I don't think he got in this race to do anything but win the nomination. But – we know what Nate Silver said. We've talked about this, that there's a 55% chance, according to his odds, that the Democratic nominee will not be a white man. Well, that means the second slot, more than likely, would probably be, not necessarily, but probably occupied by a white man. Well... If it is, is Beto O'Rourke that guy? I say, well, you certainly have to say he's a prime candidate there, whether he wants to be or not, right? 
No, I, I think yeah, so. But I mean, obviously, yeah, of the two, now there could be choice D that, that, that's not running for president. Um, you know, you, you could find some Tim Ryan or something, somebody that, that's not running. It would be the other possibility. And I don't think we're going say, to campaign Catherine? again. Um, I, I agree. Uh, I think, but I don't think that's the intention. And um, I, so, yeah, I think that that's definitely. Um, I mean, he's young. He would be a great, a great vice president. Honestly, you know, he'd be set up to run again. But who knows? You know, all kinds of things can happen. <laughs> you know, we. We had no idea that, you know, Bill Clinton was going to be the nominee or even Barack Obama. So let's let's remember that things can change so quickly in these um, elections, and we're a long way out. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting, isn't it, guys, that we are talking about Beto O'Rourke not only as a possible nominee, but as a possible VP nominee, and if he's a lot of voters' second choice, he, you know, the, it would be an easy jump from second choice to first choice in these primaries, right? Yes. Yes, I, I remember a while back when he was criticized for, you know, making that futile run against Ted Cruz, and I guess some people could say, yeah, it, it, it was a race he couldn't win, but in winning it, uh, he, he sure did raise his profile from a guy that probably most people that don't own a political almanac uh, had heard of. Well, yeah, that's um, why we all yeah, bought it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well uh, one final thing, and I do want to try to move us on to another topic possibly, and that would be the hands. Uh, much has been made fun of about how much he uses his hands. Now, of course, Donald Trump said that, and he has some of the strangest hand gestures we've ever seen with the little fingers uh, pulling them in and out. Um, is there anything to it, Catherine, yes or no? No. I mean, so yep. look at Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton used his hands all the time. So did John F. Kennedy um, and, and, and Richard Nixon uh, to, you know, a lot of jokes. But I, I think that's just, you know, petty – you know, trying to find some criticism. If that's your best criticism, then, yeah, we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. <laughs> Tim? You know, I, I rather think all these cute little things Trump is saying, it, it, it's not going to be quite as funny next year as it was three years ago. I mean, it's going to play with his face, but, but it, you know what, it's, it's not going to play beyond that. People, I, I think our guest just nailed it. People are going to vote on Donald Trump up or down next year. If we have a good candidate, it don't matter what he says about their hands, their face. Uh, if they had a DUI in the past, uh, if he gives them a cute little catchy nickname, ain't none of that going to matter. If the people have soured on Donald Trump and he's done everything in his power to to try to make sure that that happens then uh you know he's going down and 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 those other things are not going to matter that much yes all right final topic uh this past end of the week uh, donald trump made 
statements. Uh, Lindsey Graham, the lackey, he made statements talking about should the Mueller report even be released. Uh, first question, Catherine, do you think there is some universe in which Donald Trump and the GOP could suppress the Mueller report from being released when he does finish it? Um, no, not with Nancy Pelosi. There. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tim, your thoughts? Could he? Could he suppress? I, I want to say no way, guys, but I, I won't quite go there just yet. Trump's confounded me time and again when I well, said that yeah. before. Um, but uh, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna think that. There's going to be ways that Bob Mueller's going to make sure this report comes out. And uh, Catherine mentioned Nancy Pelosi. That Democratic House, I think, is going to do everything in, in, in their power to make sure it comes out as well. Yes. And I agree with y'all. I don't, I don't think he could suppress it. Well, haven't heard you any day, he, uh, Okay. Okay, let's say – I don't think he's going to suppress it, but let's say he tries. I mean, makes a real, genuine, concerted effort, and the Republicans join him trying to suppress it. Politically, what do you think that would do do to Donald Trump and the Republican Party? Um, Catherine? I mean, it wouldn't make me like that, (laughs) but, you know, I think it'll be – I think Tim said somebody said it, it'll it'll you know fit with it, their, their supporters the base, but it it will anger and uh, frustrate um, people who don't support Trump, and there'll be some outcry about it. Yes, I mean, in our, but, I, mean it I think the lines a, are divided now. The lines are divided now. Like I just don't see that the Republicans. You know, get are outraged by it, but the Democrats will be. That's my thought. And that's where we are. Almost every issue is is divided. Well, uh, yeah, Tim. Yeah, I, I was going to say though. The number one, if the report is immediately uh, released to the public, well, that obviously means that Trump believes what's in it does not threaten his presidency. And he will order his lawyers to release the thing. But number two, the more likely scenario, if it is not released or if there's some pushback to getting it released, the opposite of what I just said is true, right? I mentioned what right. what could Bob Mueller do. There's thing, well, it, the first thing, and, and uh, you know, Catherine mentioned Nancy Pelosi, testify before congressional committees. And you can bet your last dollar they're going to make sure that he does if it comes to that. Um, he could write what's known as an executive summary, which basically he'd just list the major findings minus the details. I don't think the Department of Justice could stop that. And I think he's smart enough to write the report in such a way that they're going to have a lot of trouble suppressing it. What do you think, yeah. Dave? Uh, yeah, I think it would be political suicide for the Republican Party because they're the ones that are going to have to exist after Donald Trump. 
Uh, um, honestly, I think that the you know report's gone on so long, and now we're getting into the 2020 cycle. I really don't think that you know. I mean, no telling what it's going to find because we kind of already have our suspicions, and it's awful. It is some of the most treasonous allegations in the history of our country uh, against any executive. And I just have a feeling that Donald Trump still won't be impeached, but will in 2020 he be turned out of office? I think that likelihood's pretty strong, and um, so you have to get the information out to the voters um, so the voters can then make their decision and help it inform their decision for president. And then after the election, after the inauguration in 2021 in January, what then happens? Um, uh, That's the trick. I think there's a chance. I really believe this is the scenario. There's really going to be a lot of smoking guns in the Mueller report. And then I think, um, you know, Donald Trump loses in uh, November 2020. And between November 2020 and Inauguration Day, Mike Pence becomes president for one sole purpose, and that is to absolve Donald Trump of any crimes and probably the Trump children, um, Don Jr. in particular. Um, You know, I I really do believe the next president of the United States is going to be Mike Pence. It's going to be for about two months. And it's really not going to be to serve as president and, you know, have a lot of policy. It's just simply going to be to do like what Gerald Ford did, pardon for past and future crimes, whatever he can do, um, you know, to, to, to end that Mueller report. And then, of course, a Democratic president will take over, and maybe we can get back to the business of democracy instead of Russian oligarchy. Um, you know, that, that's my – uh, hot take for what it's worth. <laughs> well, I want to thank Dan well, Judy for coming on the show. Take. It is, and, and we'll see if it comes true. Um, I, I don't even know. Uh, the, the main part of that I wanted to come true, Catherine and Tim, is just we win the presidency back in 2020 uh, because then we can hopefully restore some faith in democracy. Um, well, guys, I think it was a good show. Thanks to Dan Judy, and that's been the Cudsy Run. Good night, guys. Good night, y'all. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice.